some of the most poignant words that we human beings cherish are the last words that a loved one speaks to us before they die. Uh, I know there are examples of some people who will even hold on to voice messages from those who have died just to be able to hear their voice and know that that was the last time they spoke. Uh, even if the message itself wasn't particularly, even if it was just, you know, can you bring home a loaf of bread? There's something about the last words to us that, that are important and significant. Since most of us don't know exactly when we are going to die, most of us don't ever have the chance to think through what we would like our last words to be, let alone uh, know when to say them. Every now and then, however, someone will know that their death is imminent and take, they take the opportunity to express to the ones they love most dearly what they most want those loved ones to know. In essence, that's what we have here in this morning's text from the Gospel according to John. Jesus knows that his death is near. Uh, Judas has already, by this point in, in John's story, Judas has already left them to betray Jesus to the, the Roman guards. He'll be arrested, tried, and crucified all before the next time the sun sets. Jesus has finished his last meal with his disciples, and before he is taken away, Jesus prays one last time in their presence. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and like I said with the kids, he prays for us. The Gospel writer John gives us a tremendous gift by revealing this prayer. These words are the summary of Jesus' last wishes. For us, as disciples of Christ, we get the chance to hear what God most wants for us. Communion, love, and joy. Now, you may have noticed just a minute ago I said that we get a chance to hear uh, Jesus' last wishes, a chance to hear what God most wants for us. I interchanged Jesus and God there just as I entitled this sermon, God's Prayer for Us. Even though Jesus is clearly the one who is praying. And I've done that because they share an incomprehensible unity that frames everything about this prayer. That relationship is vital. Notice how much he refers to this. In verse 3, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, uh, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Verse 8, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. 
They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Verse 10, all I have is yours. This is a remarkable statement. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. The end of 11, uh, I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Again, verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And then finally, towards the end, may they be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That intimate relationship that is in so many ways inseparable is vital for us to understand what Jesus is praying for when he prays for us. The enormity of this prayer overwhelms in a wonderful way when we understand that what we hear Jesus pray for us is the same thing as what God the Father, God the Mother wants for us. They are one and the same. Leslie Newbigin aptly observes that this prayer leads us into the very heart of the ministry and message of Jesus. At the same time, he also admits what I have to admit, that there is, as he says, no exposition can hope to do more than suggest some of the aspects of the meaning of this prayer. There is so much in here for us to know. And I encourage us at times to look back at this and and meditate on this, because this is, again, God's desire for us. Jesus's last words on earth to us in essence. Well, since I can't cover all of it, I want to focus on three particular aspects that I think are most vital, even though there are others. The first is perhaps the most important, that idea of communion. Jesus wants us to share in that same intimacy as he has with God the Father. That's the very opening of this. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give them eternal life. Now this is eternal life. This is Jesus' own explanation for what that life is. That they may know you. That they may know you, the only true God and, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is not merely knowing about God and Jesus. This is to know them in the biblical sense, as deep and intimate as we can possibly imagine a relationship to be. That's what Jesus and God the Father, God the Mother have, and what Jesus is praying that we will have, that we will know God and Christ. 
Jesus uses the same language for our relationships as he uses to describe his own. Again, verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent them. Even as far as, uh, again, verse 23, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. This is something that Jesus prays for all his followers, all of his disciples, including us. Like I said, we are the ones that believe in Jesus because of the message. Jesus prays for us at the beginning of verse 20. And I prefer to say that Jesus prays for our communion rather than our unity because the idea of unity among Christians has led to an awful lot of focus on mechanics. How do you, how do you practically rejoin denominations? What is the governmental structure? Um, can communion be served? Uh, there's all these mechanics that get focused on in terms of trying to unite Christians. But that's not what this prayer is about. This prayer is about a, a unity of spirit and soul to the depths of who, who we are. For me, communion speaks of a deep spiritual relationship and the sacraments themselves, which are what join us in this deep communion. In this final prayer from Jesus, <clears throat> we hear God's desire for our souls to be connected with God, with Christ, and with all who abide in Christ in spirit. Jesus also prays for us to experience God's love. The same love that Jesus himself experiences. Again, verse 23. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me with the same love. And again, at the end in verse 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. Jesus knew this love so deeply that he was free to lo love others extravagantly, even to the point of giving himself for others. William Barclay, the Scottish pastor and scholar, <clears throat> expresses well this astonishing love that God lavishes on us. He writes, Jesus had come into this world to tell men and women about and to show them the love of God. 
If Jesus had stopped short of the cross, it would have been proof that there is some length to which the love of God is not prepared to go for us. It would have been to say that God's love said, this far and no farther. But by going to the cross, Jesus showed that there was nothing that the love of God was not prepared to do and suffer for men and women. That there was literally no limit to the love of God. Jesus prays that we will know this love within us. Communion and love. And also, Jesus prays for us to know joy in our lives. Verse 13. I'm coming to you now, Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them, of the same joy that Jesus experiences from his communion and the love he shares with God. This is a joy that lies deeper within us than the circumstances around us would dictate. Notice that Jesus follows that. I mean, just as as soon as he prays that they will know the full measure of my joy within them, he is very realistic. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus had acknowledged the same earlier in verses 11 and 12. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, so protect them by the power of your name. Protect them. Jesus prays that we will know joy even while we are in this world in which there are dangers. And yet, even though we will continue to live within this mess and the pain of this world, Jesus prays that we will experience the fullness of joy that he knows. Jesus can pray this prayer because he has already prayed for us that we will know both deep communion with God and one another and that we will be enveloped and filled with God's love. When we are aware of our communion with God and one another, when we are aware of God's love, no matter how severe the trials around us, we still can find joy. We hear in these poignant last words of Jesus, his prayer for all his followers, including us, communion, love, and joy. Even, and there is even more here than we have time to cover. And be reminded one last time that this prayer reflects the desires for us that the God of the cosmos has for us. Over and over again, Jesus says, I'm giving you those you have given me. I, I want them to be in us 
as you are in me, that we are one, they may know that same oneness. We never need to wonder what God wants for us. We have these last words of Jesus to remind us. The last words of famous people aren't always necessarily so poignant. Supposedly when Conrad Hilton of the Hilton Hotels fame, supposedly when Conrad Hilton was asked if he had any last words, he said, leave the shower curtain on the inside of the tub. Those were apparently his last words. Thankfully, what Jesus had to say was far more meaningful for those of us who love him. And I will leave the last words of this sermon to Dale Bruner, who is a Bible scholar um, and a contemporary. Finally, Jesus wants two realities to be right there in the middle of his church's life. And these two realities say everything. He notes verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you know in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The love with which you loved me and I myself. This tells us what we should most listen for in scripture, in sacrament, in fellowship and prayer. One, listen for God's love for Jesus and therefore so for and therefore for us believed and so passed on to one another in mutual love and two listen for Jesus himself as the living center and source of all good things relating to God and the world where these two great facts are central in any church and christian Trust in Christ's love for us and trust in Christ's real presence in our midst. The church and the Christian are alive and well. There, Jesus' prayer has been answered. Thanks be to God.